0: To answer is human, to question is divine. Welcome to the World of the Hidden Gateway, an exhilarating podcast exploring the concepts humans have been struggling with since the dawn of existence, such as, who are we? Is there such a thing as good and evil, or are they arbitrary constructs? Does the paranormal exist? How can we evolve to a higher state? can our mind influence what we term as reality. Providing a transcendental approach combined with hard-nosed humanistic analysis, we invite you on a journey to question your worldview in this theater of life. Join our host, Justin Williams, as he explores the outer realms of faith, the supernatural, human potential, and even our concepts of the universal creator with a fascinating array of guests. This is the unseen world, magical, mysterious, and mystical, where your only limitation is your imagination. This is The Hidden Gateway.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Hidden Gateway Podcast. As always, I am your host, Justin Williams. Today's guest is Dustin Broadberry. Dustin is an investigative journalist and blogger, and today we are going to discuss how psychological operations are used to push narratives, specifically C-19, over the past two years. Dustin, welcome to the Hit and Gateway Podcast. How
2: are you doing, my friend? I'm good, man. A pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, Justin.
1: All right, all right. Hey, before we get started, Dustin, could you just take a few moments here, man, to, to tell the Hidden Gateway listeners a bit about yourself, uh where you're where you're from and how you got to uh do what you do, man.
2: So yeah, I mean I yeah, I'm based in London and um you know, writing has always been an ambition of mine, but it was always a kind of tomorrow project, you know? And I suppose I never really had anything that I was really passionate about to write. And of course the COVID Thing happened in you know March 2020. By May, I had a blog up and running, and you know I've been going for it ever since. I've been uh, trying to understand what is happening in terms of you know the, the 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 political agenda that is driving this forward. I've been looking at the history, trying to understand more about the roadmap that we've been on that has brought us here looking at some of the the key players like Bill Gates Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been a great journey. Um, I think what COVID has done for many people is it's, it's kind of shaken the tree of life. It's mobilized us into action. We always knew that there was something lurking in the shadows. There was an agenda at foot. I suppose it never really happened in our own backyards. And then they came after us, right? So right, right. Um, as a consequence of of what we've all been through for two years, I, I know that here in London, I've built a great community, both people that I've known for many years and lots of, you know, new faces that have come into my life. And we all have a purpose and a mission. And and I feel that mine is certainly to write about what's happening to expose Um the deception to, uh, empower people. And, uh, yeah, um, it's, you know, it's kind of become my life's work.
1: That's awesome, Dustin. That that really is, man. And, you know, before we go any further, I just want to thank you for what you do, man. You, you, you know, like you said, you found your purpose in this and you, you love to write and that's your way of expressing and communicating your truth, man. And you stand in your truth. So thank you very much, man. I'm really excited for today. All right, Dustin, so question for you. How has social psychology been used in regards to uh, COVID-19? What can you tell me about that?
2: I would say that uh, the forces who are orchestrating the the COVID-19 coup d'etat understand human psychology very well. And they have been able to very cleverly hack and exploit basic vulnerabilities in the human psyche. And why not? I mean, the entire digital architecture is built upon psychological manipulation. Social media is a dopamine and oxytocin plantation. It is designed by professional psychologists to get users hooked. Um, In a similar way, advertising companies use psychological manipulation every day They even employ professional psychologists to promote products directly to children. They they employ professional psychologists to help marketeers get into a child's mind and influence their choices, right? So Mm -hmm. if we're looking at kind of the the biggest, greatest grand theft of democracy, rights and liberty, yes, absolutely, they are going to employ all of these devices, all of these landmark studies, everything that they know about exploiting basic vulnerabilities. Um, And what we're seeing with COVID-19 to a degree is, is the info, nano and biotech takeover of humanity. The stage that we're at right now is the bio and infotech takeover. And the infotech, of course, is the PSYOP, is the propaganda, is the bombardment of the narrative, is keeping us hooked on uh, digital media, on on following the story as it unfolds, right? So I would say that, uh, you know, social psychology has been fundamental throughout COVID-19. The British government have had a bunch of, you know, social scientists advising them. The Scientific Advisory Committee here in the UK, SAGE, right? It's got social psychologists on that committee. Mm. And they worked overtime at the beginning of all of this to sufficiently threaten the British people to put us into a state of fear. And when we kind of zoom out on what's been happening, we zoom out, we get some perspective. Two years later, the dust settles and we finally see that this is a disease that predominantly kills old and vulnerable people. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um here in the UK I don't really follow the official narrative but what I do know is that ONS who is the uh the statistical body in the UK that puts out data on behalf of the government. They recently released a document that said Over two years, only 17,000 people have died from this with no comorbidities, right? Now, that flies in the face of the, whatever it is, 150,000 deaths that they've been promoting. So this has only been made possible with the use of social psychology. And what what they've been trying to achieve is, I suppose exploiting fundamental evolutionary traits and weaknesses, particularly the mammalian brain, amygdala, the, the brain's fear centers, right? Mm, right because when okay. you when you can get into the mammalian brain and the amygdala, people are not going to think uh, rationally. They're not going to be able to use their – you know, it's like uh, a, sp- a mammal can do – a species can do one thing. It can in- grow and flourish or it can defend itself. When you're in fear, you're not – flourishing in your environment, you're defending yourself. You're not thinking straight. Mm. And um, I think the psychology that's been used has been designed to capitalize upon how human behavior is influenced by large groups of people. This is called crowd psychology. When people become part of a crowd, they de-individuate. This is a very important um a tenet within crowd psychology they de-individuate they give up their agency their personal identity their responsibility their self-awareness and this was shown in zambardo's um stanford prison experiment right okay and what what he what he showed through that experiment when he you know took those college students and he created a prison-like situation in the basement of uh, the university, he found that when individuals had minimal um, what he called self-observation, self-evaluation, individuals have a weakened sense of guilt, a weakened sense of shame, weakened sense of fear, weakened sense of commitment. And particularly, they stopped taking responsibility for their actions, right? so. This is kind. Of, this is known as de individuation. It's a state when you become so immersed in the norms, the values of the group that you lose your your sense of identity and personal responsibility. You stop thinking for yourself and you simply follow the patterns that you are observing. Right. So it's right. a bit like uh, here in the UK. A few months ago, they reintroduced the mask mandate just before Christmas. Now, prior to this time. I've been go. I mean, I go into all of my shops, maskless. I found it difficult in the early days because of the de-individuation, because of the, the pressure to conform. Everybody else is doing it right. And it's not right. easy to be a joker in the pack. There's right. a lot of pressure. And I'm going to get to that a bit later. There's studies that show just how easy it is to, sorry, just how difficult it is to be a rebel, to be a dissident. It's not easy. So... When they reintroduce the mask mandates, the same people who the day before had not been wearing masks, they're wearing masks again. Now, they're not wearing masks because, you know, they have got uh, there is a moral imperative driving their decisions. Sure, some of them it's with some of them. It's straight. It's outright obedience. But I do believe that a lot of them are wearing masks because they are going in to the shop under the assumption that everyone else is wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. okay so they have lost their personal identity their personal agency they have lost their the executive functions of of their of their psyche they're not making decisions for themselves anymore they're allowing the group to do that right so zimbardo he basically uh he discovered this in what became one of the most important you know uh 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 experiments uh studies in in, in um in de-individuation but what it also touches upon is free will and it it intersects with something else that i've talked about which is it's called the banality of evil right and it's um it's this this landmark thesis by hannah ardent and she became she was an observer at the trial of uh, adolf eichmann in jerusalem he was one of the the perpetrators of the atrocities um, uh, during World War II for the Nazi Party, right? And what she discovered was that um, ordinary people in search of purpose and direction who are dutifully just following orders, right, have got the potential to commit atrocities, the most atrocious acts of evil. Now, she walked into that, you know, preparing that thesis on the assumption that it's evil people that make evil acts, right? She didn't realize that obedience or conformity or a loss of free will or de-individuation, which takes an individual to that place, that that could result in what we now look back on as, you know, some of the biggest atrocities that have taken place in history. Now, inspired by um, Hannah Arden's landmark thesis, a friend of hers at the time or a contemporary is a guy called Stanley Milgram. You probably heard of him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he basically wanted to put Hannah Ardent's thesis into the lab, right? And test it outside of the environment of the Third Reich because he wanted to see that, you know, did her thesis just apply to people. Who had uh, lived within the culture of uh, the Third Reich under the totalitarianism of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party or could those same rules of engagement apply to middle America so so what he did is he put together an experiment where he kind of he, he kind of followed some unconventional protocols with this rather than getting students into his experiment. He got kind of ordinary people in who he felt were, you know, that they they were kind of, they fitted the profile of some of the officers in in the Nazi party in the SS. So these were, you know, people in the 30s and 40s, mostly men. Okay. And he wanted to demonstrate in the lab that normal people, when asked to obey an authority figure, would act in ways that would, you know, horrify and deplore most of us and he he demonstrated exactly that so you know his experiment is uh, asking these guys the subjects to administer uh, electrical shocks to somebody in a test environment and obviously the person who's receiving these shocks is a confederate is a stooge is an actor of the experiment but he found that many people Administered what amounted to a lethal dose, and that was simply because they had an authority figure in an authoritative voice commanding them to do this right and these okay. were not these were not people you know in an army that they, they were not trained um soldiers uh warriors on the battlefield these were ordinary people, but they've you know fitted the profile of you know had they been born in Nazi Germany, they would have been recruited in that you know they would have been press ganged into into wearing the uniform and they would have been given those orders. So this was an experiment in obedience. And you've got three things with obedience. You've you've got three things with with authority. There is compliance and compliance is, please, could you do this, Justin? Conformity is, Justin, everyone is doing this, so you should be doing it. And then you've Mm -hmm. got obedience, which is you must do this. Now, at every stage throughout COVID-19, we have seen all three of those. We've seen compliance, conformity, and obedience at work. And all of this is endemic of an authoritarian system, a totalitarian authoritarian system that is, uh, that is in the making. And all of these experiments, I think, really sort of converge with where we're at at the moment. Somebody I was speaking to recently suggested that we're living in one big ash experiment And Mm -hmm. this is also an important experiment. It's an experiment in free will, but it's also an experiment in conformity. And uh, this is an experiment where subjects were enrolled into this experiment thinking that they were signing up to take part in a visual perception test, right? So They were put into a room and they were asked to measure, look at three lines on the left, sorry, three lines on the right and compare them to one line on the left. Now, one of the three lines on the right was unmistakably the same size as the sign, the line on the left, right? You'd have okay. to be an idiot not to get this right. And what he found is when he called, when he called these people in on their own, without a, a, without a group, okay, so first he tested people outside of a group setting, 99% of the subjects answered correctly. They were asked, you know, of the three lines, On the right which one is equal to the line On the left now 99% of the Subjects got the answer correctly Later Ash uh, He placed the same participant In a room but with other people Now these other people were all in On it they were in on the experiment They were what the the Experimenter called confederates They were actors right And what he First of all he asked the actors To give their answer and all of the actors in a row, actor one, actor two, actor three, actor four, they gave the wrong answer. Okay? And when it came to the actual subject, right, what Ash found was that 30% of the time the subject would go along with the group. Okay. Yeah. Now he would do this for different reasons. Some because they thought they they must be wrong, when so many others within the group has have a different answer, and others because they just wanted to avoid the discomfort of standing out now all of this converges with covid nineteen because there has been a very obvious deception afoot um, there has been a very implausible narrative that has had you know far reaching ramifications. We have adjusted our behavior exponentially and shifted away from a normal state of of, of being. We have um, uh, transformed our entire kind of worldviews all around this so-called existential threat. Now, you know, the important points to mention are that when you have a media that is perpetuating a particular message and narrative, okay, and that is... Um, trying to convince people of a certain level of consensus for this narrative, it has a very similar effect to the Ash experiment, that people are, you know, they do not want to um, disagree with the group. They don't want to stand out. They don't want to question the narrative because it's a very uncomfortable place to be in, right? Mm -hmm. And there were some, some later experiments that were done on free will right the idea of free will there's a study by Vors and schuler in 2008 and it found that participants who were induced to believe that they did not have free will were more likely than others to take advantage of an opportunity to cheat to be more inclined to sociopathic behavior right subsequent research has shown that a disbelief in free will is associated with more aggression um, less of a sense of community and also a failing, uh, an inability to transform or change behaviors, right? So free will is a very important thing for an individual to have, um, to be, you know, of sound mind, okay? And what we've seen throughout COVID-19 is is this attempt to eradicate people's free will, right? The state right. has encroached into the most prosaic aspects of our lives okay like telling us where we can go who we can see uh prohibiting us from having our girlfriend staying the night right and copulating telling us mm-hmm. we've got to stand 2 meters apart and avoid people in the street right. telling us that we've got to avoid our family at christmas okay now the you know this is a massive encroachment and when you look at something like cognitive dissonance Okay, and you understand that, you know, when people have a when when people lose a sense of reality, they kind of know one thing to be true. Right. And, you know, many people I do believe firmly believe that the most ardent fan club for lockdowns and restrictions, you know, I think there's there is a rational brain there somewhere. These people know that what they're doing is not right. They know that the science is phony they know that the data does not support the 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 heightened sense of emergency but yet they continue to give up their free will they continue to conform they continue to effectively disbelieve what is before their eyes right and this causes this causes cognitive dissonance now the first thing to go with that is free will and when free will goes it kind of goes back to all of the other stuff you know that we were discussing um like particularly in the Zambardo experiment, where people ha- will will lose res- a sense of responsibility for their actions they will de individuate right they will they will stop self evaluating they will they will not self observe they will not have guilt, shame, or fear they're just they're turned into effectively robots, right so you know this is some of the psychology that's been afoot. I mean, I would say. Stockholm syndrome has been particularly rife throughout. And this is where people develop an emotional bond with their captors. And, uh, you know, this is when prisoners, they get institutionalized. They've been in jail for whatever, 15, 20 years. And you right, can't get, right. you, you know, they're paroled and you can't get these guys to leave. I mean, we've all seen. Uh,
1: yes, yes.
2: We've all seen what's that? The Shawshank Redemption with the older guy, you know. Right. yeah, Yeah. This guy commits suicide because. That's Stockholm syndrome, but it, Stockholm syndrome is also used by psychopaths, predators who want to to dress a woman and dictate where she goes and who she sees and all of this stuff. Right. Hmm. In the same way that the government is telling us what we should wear, a face mask, where we should go. You can go out, but you can't go more than two miles who you can meet. Well, you can't see anybody that is not in your own household, your so-called bubble. Right. So this is it this is the definition of an abusive relationship that we're having with our governments and from time to time what they do is they they give us gifts they give us in, you know disbursements of money yeah they promise social credits right so on the, right. they they slap with the right hand they caress with the left hand um something else i think that is that has been quite prevalent throughout is something called munchausen syndrome and this is like a, a psychological disorder where someone pretends to be ill right or deliberately produces symptoms and these are diagnosable symptoms in fact of an illness right they they get so caught up in the chronic hypochondria they make themselves ill from from a disease that they don't have okay and yes. let's let's face it what what have governments and these so-called scientists been doing to us for the past 2 years they have been treating us like sick people, like hospital patients, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you wear masks in a hospital scenario, right? You uh you know, this whole uh the mythology, the fiction, the fabrication that is asymptomatic transmission, that turns us all into you know chronic hypochondriacs. But what it also does is it de individuates us because the, the the idea that you might pass on a disease that you don't have and kill somebody, right, or put them in hospital, this is the, the archetypal crowd psychology, right? Because what it does is it removes your agency. You are no longer in charge. You're no longer responsible for yourself or for your actions because you might arbitrarily, through some... um you know, uh, freak of nature, infect and, and kill grandma. So, again, we go back to de-individuation. Um, I suppose, you know, I would, I, would, I would finish on foot in the door, and this is classic kind of – this is the way the, the the salesman, door-to-door salesman that's selling whatever, the product that you don't need and never will <laughs> – how they they manage to get you to kind of sit down over the coffee table with a smile on your face and sign their contract and part with Mm. your hard-earned money. And they do this by getting it literally one of their feet inside of your door. So you can't close the door. Right. Right. And it's like by slow degrees, it's like as David Icke would say, the totalitarian tiptoe. Um, and, you know, when when all of this, this stuff started, it was based on the whole, you know, three weeks to flatten the curve, or, right, you right. know, two-week fire break or what what have you, okay? Of course, they never reveal the full extent to which you're going to be enslaved by all of this, yes. um, the time that you're going to be, you know, cooped up in lockdown under house arrest. No, they, you know, they get their foot in the door by slow degrees, okay? So yeah, I think that that about covers, you know, some of uh some of the the psychological methods, manipulation, some of the case studies that that have been used throughout this.
1: Wow. Yeah, that that's deep, man. Now you talked about you, you mentioned a couple of times, Dustin, how uh these these elites, these powers that be, the, the people that are behind all this, they want control of the spirit, of the soul, of the mindset, etc., right? Yeah. I guess a question that I have, and I'm sure others have, is is why do they want that? Right now, I've talked to other people about this as well. Uh, some people say that there is a type of a spiritual warfare going on. Others don't believe so. What What are your thoughts on that? And and what's what's
2: the big the big why? I, I wholeheartedly agree. COVID is it is a spiritual and it's an ideological war. Now you ask a question, and that's why. It's very simple. These people are monopolists, right? Mm-hmm. So Facebook, for example, it does not want to share its market share with other companies. It right. doesn't matter if Facebook's got 4 billion customers. Its shareholders want 5 billion. There is no um, satisfaction. They don't reach uh, the top of the hill, these, these monopolists, and they mm-hmm. finally surrender and say, okay, we've, we've, we've done enough. We've taken enough, we've owned enough, we've controlled enough. they just want more and more and mm. but part of that whole that the machinations of the monopolist is not just about how much they can get, it's about how little everyone else has right okay. it's about It's about annihilating any form of competition along the way. Now, these politicians, okay. I think where the spiritual war aspect of all of this comes from is firstly, for me personally, for me to gain absolute mastery over my life, I would say is a kind of 10 lifetime mission that ain't going to happen in this life. It is a process that will probably Mm. never end. Okay. Mm. And the last thing that I'm concerned about, because I'm trying to gain mastery over myself as a lot of awake people are. And hence, you've had this massive spiritual resurgence. We've had a lot of esoteria coming in from, from India. People have really embraced yoga, mindfulness, meditation. Yes. Other people connecting back with Christianity. Now, this is all about the spiritual journey. None of us are busy looking at other people and what they're doing. We just don't have time to judge other people or attempt to control their actions or their behavior or the way they think, unless that other person is our own child, right? Right, It's a bit different with a child. Now, on the other side of that, you've got politicians, and they are um, effectively given a position of power whereby they have control over a constituency of people. Now, our political system in the UK is built upon uh, an MP, For a particular area, and he is responsible for, let's say, 200,000 people within his constituency. Do you think this guy is ever looking inside at what is going on within his inner world, trying to be a good gardener to his own house and garden? No, he's looking to control other people. And I think where we lose touch with our spiritual core, whatever it is that connects us to the divine, Uh, to source to nature to our higher potential when we lose touch with that we look to external things to compensate for that loss Uh. and i I think part of that could be we look to control other people right Mm. when we're not busy trying to control ourselves now that could be me for example, saying, okay, I'm not going to drink tonight because I don't want to wake up with a hangover, or I'm going to prioritize some other work that I've got. I want to finish writing this story. So I'll make sacrifices along the way. So all of this is part of my journey, my process. Politicians, they, they don't do this. What they're looking for is control over other people. And again, it goes back to the psychopath, right? The guy I mentioned earlier, the guy who uh, who beats on who victimizes, who threatens, who bullies his wife, who wants to dress her, he wants to choose her friends. Now, this is a psychopath, and I believe that there is something in the psychopath of this guy's character that is also in the character of the politician, that is also in the character of the, the tycoon, that is also in the character of the banker. OK, that these are ruthless people that are driven by money. They're driven by power. Now, that power to them is not power over themselves, but power over other people. Other people I think right. there are two types of people in the world. There are those who are looking for power over themselves. Mm-hmm. And there are those who are looking for power over other people. Now, interesting. I think a very small majority are the psychopaths. They perhaps lack empathy. They're part of a a corporate system that is all about greed and power and ruthlessness and growth and consolidation and monopolization. There is no end to it, right? Mm -hmm. They want more and more growth, more and more power, more and more control. The politician, the banker, the corporation, the multinational corporation. Now, what that means is that it's not enough for these people to create laws right, to regulate crime and punishment. They want more than that. They want, they want absolute control. They want a foot in the door of each person's household. They want to get to your child. They want to educate your child before you do, right? It's all about greed, control, and monopolization. And this is what we're seeing with COVID-19, Mm-hmm. We've got governments telling us we cannot associate freely with our family. We cannot leave our house to exercise, right? Now, yeah, fair enough. This is all stopped now. But unfortunately a precedence has been set. People have been hacked. We yes. have the, the the line has moved, right? The six yard line has moved. It ain't never going back. Right. And Even if we said for one minute, okay, we don't have a bunch of psychopaths running this the the geopolitical operation, even if we didn't have those psychopaths, you can be sure there are many psychopaths out there in the wings that will rise in the ranks that will tap into what has been achieved throughout all of this to once again pull all those fear levers, to once again implement their their control architecture it's it's this part of it is is really scary man because you know if you had asked if we had discussed this let's say in 2019 mm-hmm. and we did a podcast and I said to you hey man imagine this scenario right people sure. people are not going to be allowed to freely associate with their families Ooh. leave their homes People's business is going to be shut down. It's all going to be on the basis of a, let's call it a virus. Do you think you would have believed me that that was possible then?
1: It would have been very hard to believe you, man. You know, the world we lived in in 2019, obviously much different than the world we live in today. I kind of would, I probably would have been scratching my head. Like, uh, (laughs) hmm, I don't know about that, Dustin.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) now that, now that all that has been achieved, now that the the six yard line has been moved, right? The goalposts Mm -hmm. have been moved. Anything is possible. Oh. And this this is the scary part of it, man.
1: Yes, yes. Anything is possible. That that's one of my mantras, man. <laughs> and, and and question for you: When you talk about those people that that want the control, right? These psychopaths, social paths. Are are we talking about people like uh, Bill Gates? Who, who, by the way, you wrote an excellent article on or excellent piece on Off the Guardian uh, late last year about the uncertainty of food security. Yes, uh, are we thank you. we talking about like Bezos and, and these type guys. Rockefeller, that, that, that's who you're referring to?
2: 100%. These are the guys. Okay. But I do believe that the whole the, the corridors of power have moved more into the shadows. They, have, mm. they do not reveal themselves on the battlefield. Wow. I mean it kind of, you know, it goes back to the rock that the Rothschilds family, right? And their okay. f- their funding of people like, you know, the Morgans, the kind of rise of Chase Manhattan and JP Morgan. You always mm-hmm. look towards JP Morgan as the guy, but behind JP Morgan you had rock you had Rothschilds money. Yes. Yes, I do think Bezos, I do think Gates. I don't believe that anybody gets to that level of power of financial wealth of the public spotlight that hasn't either been bought bribed or sold their soul to the uh to the agenda now whether mm-hmm. gates is a is, is a front man or whether he's a mover and shaker we don't know the reason i i kind of picked gates apart is that i was sick to death of hearing people who had once been very good friends of mine singing this guy's praises because of the whole huh. climate change and yeah. you know the, the 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 puff that is created from his pr machine that would tell you that he's actually saving these farmers that he's investing money in africa that he really cares for people and he really cares for food so i started digging into that and i realized actually it's the very opposite that's true he's screwing africa he is destroying food he is one of the biggest climate perpetrators if wow. you are, if you're going to buy into the, the the climate change narrative, right, and you you see this as some existential threat to humanity, then Bill Gates ain't going to save you because Bill Gates invests and backs and profits from all of the biggest corporate perpetrators, right, wow. that are committing so called climate change. So the level of hypocrisy there is just another level. But yes, yeah, certainly Gates there are you know many others i would say that um you know the real power is is the money men right is okay. is the the investment banks there was a great documentary that exposed the the vanguard and blackrock uh investments into just about everything they own everything man they own wow you man. know that they, they are the because everything you know when you understand You know, companies that grow to a certain level that are then, that then do their IPO, that they go public. And then you realize, well, hang on, Google is not Eric Schmidt and Larry Page, right? Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. not just about the investors that have joined those businesses, it's about their origins, which we'll go into, which is more the kind of military intelligence industrial complex but mm-hmm. the BlackRock, the vanguards and of course these companies own all the media companies they own mm-hmm. you know they're the largest shareholders in the the verizon time warner the at&t the comcast mm-hmm. okay they own the shares in all the big pharma companies moderna pfizer they own and control the world's media whether it's google facebook twitter the washington post the new york times you know and uh Unfortunately, you can never really understand who owns those investment funds because Blackrock owns Vanguard and Vanguard own Blackrock but you can kind of guess that it's the old money dynasties the the but you know it's 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 all speculative
1: wow man that is that is insane so I wanted to ask you about a couple other things that you had previously mentioned to me, right? We talked about Stockholm syndrome, you talked about Ash. Um, is Ash and the Stanford Prison the same thing, or is that totally different? Totally also different. Have, it is. And then then it was another one, inintentional blindness, foot in the door yes. was another one, and the banality yes. of evil. I want to learn yes. about those as well, man.
2: When we look to that that foot in the door, yes, it's uh you know, it's the slow, gradual process. It's like the boiling frog you know that analogy that you uh, you throw a frog into boiling water and the frog's going to jump right out but if you mm. if you turn the heat up slowly that poor amphibian is going to die because it just didn't notice that the temperature was rising to such a degree wow. and it it was it was toast right so you know the boiling frog is similar to the the foot in the door inattentional blindness is uh this is quite This goes to this uh is a an experiment that was done a few years ago whereby they basically made people watch this video, okay? Now, in this video you had two sets of people throwing a ball around. So you had people dressed in white and they were throwing a ball to each other, and people dressed in black and they were throwing a ball to each other. Now the subjects of the experiment were asked. To watch this video and count the number of passes by the white team or count the number of passes by the black team. Okay. Now, halfway through this video, a guy in a gorilla outfit comes out into the very middle of the stage, right in front of the cameras, and then walks off again. About 60% of the people who watched this video never saw the gorilla. Really? Because they never saw the gorilla. Now, despite huh. the fact that it, you know, despite the fact that we're not talking about just a, a, a sort of a random event occurring on the screen, this is somebody in a gorilla outfit. It's a massive departure from uh, reality, from the reality of the passes of the ball. Now, what, wow. it basi- what it basically, what this 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 clinical study shows you is that sometimes it's very difficult to see the the thing that is right before your eyes. There is also something else. There is also another bit of psychology that, um, and I, I I can't quite remember the name of it, but but it talks about the left and the right sides of the brain, right? And one one part of the brain is more attuned to the bigger picture. The other part of the brain is more weighed down with details. Now, the more weighed down with details you are, the more you're going to miss the bigger picture. And I suppose the inattentional blindness, what it reveals is that, Within the COVID-19 coup d'etat, the very obvious stuff that many of us have called out that other people have apparently not seen, not been aware of, um, this inattentional blindness kind of explains that. Because they have been so transfixed on the official government narrative, the data, the science, what the media is telling them, their own systems of um, fitting in of um maintaining their position in society in their neighborhood being seen to be doing the right thing they've been so focused on all of this that they have missed the elephant or in this case the go- guy in go- the gorilla outfit
1: right right in
2: the room okay
1: mm-hmm. jeez man that that's <laughs> crazy i can believe it though man i could definitely believe yep. it <laughs> Don't don't even notice the damn gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> check
2: That's- it out, man. Check it out.
1: You uh, Google the experiment. Yeah, I will I will definitely check that out, man. Okay. So so what do we do going forward as humanity, right? We have all this going on in, in these type of psychological operations and things of of that nature have been going on for for a very, very long time, for a very long time. However, as as, as you're aware, there has been this great awakening of people over the last couple years where people have expanded their awareness. And with that said, I wholeheartedly believe that we as humanity can do a better job of fighting this than we have in the past. What are your thoughts on what we need to do to to fight this matrix to fight the beast to fight these demons that are out here wanting to take control of people's spirits people's soul people's thoughts and uh things of that nature
2: well we are up against a hugely organized adversary okay and they own the architecture they control the means of communication they 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 uh they are behind the flow of information in our society a lot of us um are still using their technology and services okay mm-hmm. now if we look mm-hmm. at uh, let's look at i don't know do you do you remember betamax do you remember betamax why does that sound familiar well Basically, once upon a time, you had something called VHS, right? Yes, I got you. I remember. Yep, I got it. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, you had, at the time of VHS, you had something called Betamax. Now, Betamax, apparently, because we had some Betamax going on, it was an alternative version of the the VHS video. The only thing is, if you had a Betamax video, you couldn't use it in a VHS recorder. I remember that now. Apparently, Betamax was better technology, but VHS had a smoother marketing campaign and it was the one that flourished right everybody had VHS they could have had Betamax I I think about 10% of the people had Betamax but Betamax just disappeared it faded into obscurity now it didn't disappear because somebody burned down their factory it didn't disappear because all of the VHS fans were standing outside of their headquarters with banners saying down with Betamax it disappeared because no one was buying the damn thing right now VHS later disappeared because somebody created DVDs, and my understanding of it is is that D- DVDs are also disappearing because you've got Blu-ray, but all of that is all disappearing because you've got streaming now. Right. There's been no kind of violent um, uh, struggle between the opposing forces of DVD and uh, and online streaming, but in systems theory. Those other things, the VHS, the Betamax, they just become obsolete because people stop buying them. What we've got to understand about these dark shadowy forces, these psychopaths, the monopolists, the the tyrants that want to control and own us, they're just service providers, right? Google is just a service provider. It provides a search engine. It provides Google Drive and all of those free documents that we're all hooked on. Governments are also providing a service. Now, when we stop believing in those services and we stop subscribing to them, when they lose our faith, we start making our own services. Mm. We start creating alternatives. Then in systems theory, they will just disappear. They will fade into obscurity and become a relic of history okay but we need to get there now it's very difficult to get there because the whole digital nexus is built upon psychology the exploitation of uh, the human psyche as i mentioned earlier it's a oxytocin dopamine plantation many people they don't want to be too controversial on facebook by actually communicating from the heart and saying hang on a second something's not right with this current covid narrative because they're going to get criticized right Mm -hmm. they're not going to get many likes Mm -hmm. instead they're going to post a picture of their dinner right or a cute video of a cat playing because they'll get more likes and the reason they want more likes is because likes is like cocaine or coffee or cigarettes it's a dopamine hit and everything about digital technology is built around that dopamine hit, whether it's, yeah. whether it's the colors on Instagram or mm-hmm. the, the clicking noise on your phone or mm-hmm. everything, the likes, the whole shooting match, the whole shebang is all mm-hmm. about getting you addicted, getting me addicted, getting the people addicted. Now, this is where we are ensnared, okay? We need to unlearn a lot of the shit that we've learned with those devices we need to but but i think more to the point we need to start developing our own systems if more people realized that google was developed by the cia and nsa right Mm -hmm. so in the mid 90s when the digital revolution was underway research departments uh in the cia and nsa they were developing programs that would predict the usefulness of the World Wide Web as a tool for capturing what they called birds of a feather formation. That's mm. when that's when geese fly together in large V shapes, or flocks of sparrows make sudden movements, right, in rhythmical mm. patterns. So the intelligence state was particularly interested in how these principles, birds of a feather, feather, would influence the way people would eventually move together on the internet. Mm. And to frame this theory. They established a series of initiatives to directly fund what what was then emerging was a bunch of tech entrepreneurs. They were coming out of universities like Stanford, and they the CIA and NSA had a program called MDDS, Massive Digital Data Systems. Right, so this program was designed to fund tech entrepreneurs. They had a program within MDDS called Birds of a Feather. This took place in San Jose in 1995. Wow. Amongst, amongst the first grants provided by MDDS to capture this Birds of a Feather theory, which was was to set about building a massive digital library and indexing system using the internet as its backbone, the funds were dispersed to two Stanford University PhDs, Sergey Brin and Larry Page. Who are making headways in the development of what became Google web web page ranking technology? Right, so Google it comes out of the military industrial complex. The internet was born out of DARPA, right? Okay. The the main guy behind the internet you've probably heard his name is like a legend within the whole you know development of the internet is a guy called JCR Licklider. He was a a guy within um darpa he's like the founding father of the internet he's a psychologist okay it's right? not he's not you know look at mark zuckerberg he was he was a psychology major now facebook is another one at the time that facebook launched r- on the very day it launched there was another program called lifelog that is another darpa program that was all about creating total information awareness on The American population to record their faces, their names, their addresses, who they associate with, what they read, what they listen to, what are their political beliefs, right? There was a project called LifeLog that came under a lot of fire from privacy advocates because it was trying to do what the US Constitution protects American citizens from, and that is to gain total information awareness about the American people. Now, this whole process of total information awareness it goes back to psyops and counterinsurgency and particularly the the use of of these special operations against u.s citizens during the cold war when it was claimed through programs like the mccarthy witch hunt that there was a whole community of americans that were trying to topple the system bring in a a system of communism it was used against the civil rights movement, against the anti-war movement. They wanted to know what people were up to. But increasingly, it wasn't enough for them to just know what activists were up to. They wanted that total information awareness about everybody, okay? And 9 mm-hmm. gave them a mandate to do that. The, the, the Patriot Act in the US, and right. we had the anti-terror laws in the UK, right? And mm-hmm. uh, so... What people don't realize is that, you know, the Pentagon built the Internet. They were scared that at some point the Soviets were going to launch an attack against uh, a very early nascent version of a a computer system that the U.S. had that they would launch a strike and it it would topple their entire missile system. So what the, what the government wanted is they wanted a decentralized system, right? A communication system that was decentralized that could withstand a strike from the Soviets, right? So they built the internet that was originally called the ARPANET from this program, okay? And, you know, there is the kind of anecdotal story of Tim Berners-Lee as the founding father, this sort of avuncular British man created the internet. He didn't. He created the WWW. Protocol, the World Wide Web Protocol. ARPANET built. Uh, sorry, DARPA built DARPA, which was originally called ARPA, uh, the R and D de- agency of the United States military, the Department of Defense. Built the Internet, and uh, you know it was eventually privatized and uh, sold off, spun off to a bunch of uh, of uh, private sector companies: Verizon, Time Warner, Warner, AT and T, Comcast. Basically, the same six companies corporations who controlled 90% of US media, right? Through through absolute horizontal alignment, right? They they own legacy, they own digital, they own the infrastructures, Hmm. they own the the satellites, the devices, the hardware, the software, the operating systems. It's all in the bag of those six corporations, right? But it was developed by by the military. Facebook comes out of that lifelog program. When you look at kind of Facebook's origins, the what what is very kind of alarming is some of the people that are involved in facebook some of the kind of ex treasury people um like um for example the, the the operations director of facebook is um what is the lady's name um oh, gosh um i think it's um Sheryl sandberg right now she's the protege of a guy called uh Lawrence Summers he was uh, at the time that that Zuckerberg apparently created Facebook from his dorm room right on the day that this program LifeLog was shut down uh-huh. Harvard Harvard's president was Lawrence Summers now he was secretary of treasury under Clinton he was also chief economist at the world bank he was director of the national economic council but at the time Facebook was launched he was the president of Harvard The current uh, chief operating officer of of Facebook is Sheryl Sandberg since 2008. She is his protege, right? Mm. She worked with him at the World Bank. She worked with him at the U.S. Treasury Department, right? Another person within Facebook's uh, board of directors is someone called Marnie Levine. She's the chief business officer, right? She's also somebody that worked with Summers in the Department of Treasury. She was chief of staff of Summers when he was head of National Economic Council. She was also chief of staff at Harvard University under Summers, right? And there are a whole bunch of people out of the treasury affiliated with this guy Summers, right, who are now deeply embedded into Facebook. Plus, you've got loads of spooks. And, uh, you know, so when you look at the history of the internet, social media, these are not people apps. These are not private businesses. This is... These are military operations. These are this is a surveillance operation. Yeah. The, these are you know infrastructures that were developed by spymasters, by spooks, to get to basically have total inf- information awareness about the people. But also, there were a number of psyops programs. You had I don't know if you've ever heard of Project Camelot. Yes, yes. You've heard of Project Camelot, okay? So this this is born out of something called Sorrow, which was, uh, you know, a military operation, a a PSYOP military operation that basically it looked to protect U.S. national security interests against the Soviet Union during the Cold War. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to understand the roadmap to to revolution, what inspired insurgents to become insurgents, and to interrupt this, the revolutionary process before a revolution ever got off the ground, right? So mm-hmm. the US government became the biggest employer of social psychologists in the US at the close of the Second World War. But they started developing these psyops at that time to um, uh, win the hearts and minds of people in countries threatened by communism because they were fighting a very aggressive and expansionist foe in the Soviet Union, right? And okay. this is when warfare went from being an overt uh system to a covert system because it was no battlefield with uh, with the Cold War, right? You, right? it was a conceptual and abstract war where it was about winning hearts and minds and winning ideology. And it's yeah. you know, it's my belief that a lot of that architecture, a lot of the psyops that then became redundant following perestroika have increasingly been used against domestic citizens right mm-hmm. and a lot of the programs that have come out since that time as i mentioned lifelog the office for total information awareness information awareness office uh, out of the out, again it's all out of kind of darpa that a lot of these programs are about tapping into things like the research that was done with project camelot to predict revolutions before they happen and to infiltrate The minds of the revolutionaries right so Mm -hmm. that the revolution never happens the revolutionary gives up his ambition for revolution and instead takes a job with walmart or something right so basically when you look at digital technology and its impact on the social sphere it's incredible because A lot of the people you would expect to be awake to COVID, especially the left. Now the left have been a real victim of the PSYOP and counterinsurgency because they were, they were originally the ones that were affiliated with the Soviet threat, the socialism and the communism. And slowly over the last few decades, they have been infiltrated and co-opted and their minds and their hearts have been won. Now those people who you would expect to be awake, they ain't awake Mm -hmm. because In the same way that Project Camelot stopped revolutions from happening, the psychology in the digital technology and the evolution of the psyop through especially the internet has basically transformed those people and their ideals, right? Wow, man. Dustin, you... (laughs) Definitely brought the
1: fire, man. Definitely brought the fire, (laughs) man. This is why I wanted to have a have a chat with you, man. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Everything you've shared today, my friend. This has been excellent. 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 Great to have you. Yes, sir. I have one last request for you, man. This is something I ask each and every guest that comes on the Hit and Gateway podcast to do. And that is simply to leave our listeners with something that you think is important as they continue on their journey. Maybe okay. whatever whatever comes to heart, man. What I like to call this is a token of love, something that you want them to be aware of, or how you want them to approach, um, you know, things as, that that come up on their journey, man. What what do you have? Okay. For them?
2: okay. So first thing is follow me on my blog. I'm out, I, they can follow me www t h e c o g e n t dot org follow it follow me on Twitter cogent one And there's some good nuggets of information that I'm putting out there. And I'm going to talk in more detail about this topic, by the way, in an article that's coming out in a couple of weeks. But I would leave them on this note, okay? There's a guy called David Galula. He is a French commander, right? And he was a very important figure during the Algerian War. And he's an expert in counterinsurgency warfare. And he says this, in any situation, whatever the cause There will be an active minority for the cause, a neutral majority, and an active minority against the cause. The technique of power consists in relying on the favorable minority in order to rally the neutral majority and to neutralize and eliminate the hostile minority. Now, That breakdown can be broken down as 33%. So you've got 33% for, they're pro-government, they're pro-narrative. You've got 33% against. Now, those two constituents, they ain't never going to change their mind. You've got these diehard, zealous lockdown fanatics who want more restrictions, more imposition, more government regulation. You're never going to change them. But you've got an equal number of people like you and I, Justin, right, of Mm -hmm. dissidents, of infidels of what they term insurgents. The system would have us believe that we are a very small mi- mi- minority, right? The UK yeah. government and the media are trying to say that there's only 5 million people in the UK unvaccinated. Now, there's 67, 68 million people here, and the data suggests that one-third of the population of adults are not vaccinated. The European Union told us recently, Ursula von whatever her name is, the, the head of the EU, she said... One third of Europe is not vaccinated. Now, this one third ties in perfectly what this guy, David Galula, says about the minority against the cause. We are within sniffing distance, right, of onboarding the neutral majority. They are the Mm -hmm. 33% on the fence. The reason the media exists and the reason Facebook gets out of bed in the morning is to turn on the propaganda and convince the neutral majority that the 33% for the cause are the majority, right? Now, we are very close to winning this war because our numbers equals the numbers of people that have uh, become victims of the PSYOP. And I suppose what I would leave people with is we've, we've got to continue waking people up. We need the neutral majority on board. And once that happens, We've got critical mass. We already have critical mass because we are one-third. We're one part of three different constituents of society. Um, and, you know, we've got to keep fighting, man. I mean, you know, we've got a reason to live. We know who our enemy is. We are more connected to truth, to purpose, to, you know, ideology than I suppose any of us have ever been.
1: Excellent, my friend. Excellent. Thank you so much. And, right. and and do do me a favor, please. Throw your Twitter and your website out there where you where they can find you one more time if you if you don't okay. mind.
2: Yeah. So uh the, the website is the cogent.org. T-H-E-C-O-G-E-N-T dot org. The cogent.org. And follow me on Twitter, the cogent one. But if you Google my name, Dustin Broadbury. Absolutely, Particularly yeah. if you if you don't use Google because they have <laughs> they, they've blocked and disappeared and cancelled and shadow banned a lot of my articles. Duck Go Go, you can find a lot more of my stuff.
1: There you go, good people. Look them up, check them out. As he said a few minutes ago, he has uh, some more works coming out in the near future. So, uh, this has been great, Dustin. Thank you so much. And to our audience, we really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hidden Gateway podcast. I know I did. Dustin, you're phenomenal in what you do. I want to thank you for fighting the good fight and continue to do what you do with helping humanity, my friend. And again, to our listeners, remember you can stay connected with us directly at hiddengateway.com. If you want to speak with us, shoot us an email at support at And please do not to forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay fully up to date. This will conclude this week's episode. Until next time, stay positive, stay questioning, be love, and be free. The Hidden Gateway, out.